0: The doctor is out this evening, so Galatians 1, one is going to have to wait another week. Don't forget um, to nominate men for elder. You can find, you can get one of these up here if you haven't seen that sheet yet. That Those are due October 31st. For those that I have not met, I'm Chris. Um, I'm Chris Luke, responsible for... Men's ministry around here and also 20s and 30s ministry. Been on staff a little over two years now. Our text tonight is going to be found in Jeremiah 29. You can go ahead and turn there. But before we get to the passage, I just want to clue you in a little bit on where we're heading. I thought this year's mission conference was outstanding. All of it. Wednesday night service in here, Thursday night prayer service, Saturday morning. Uh, vocation as mission, making your life or your vocation kingdom-focused, thought it was outstanding. Sunday morning was outstanding. And around that time, I was studying Jeremiah 29 in my grace group. We're going through uh, Tim Keller's Gospel in Life DVD. The first lesson is called The City. If you've ever seen that, you'll notice a lot of the same themes in this. But it comes out of the passage in Jeremiah 29 that we'll be studying tonight. I just thought it was brilliant, uh, terribly convicting, and brilliant. Our whole grace group loved it. And because I loved it so much, when Jonathan Todd asked me to lead a, a section of the prayer service in the missions conference, I asked him if I could lead a section about the city using Jeremiah 29 and some of those thoughts that I'd got from Tim Keller. And so that night, even more positive feedback about this. And then Dr. Young asked me to teach tonight The same week that those videos have been polished and and released from the Saturday seminar of the missions conference, and I thought it was a no-brainer for me, we need to continue this theme of mission. As Jonathan told us, mission is not just a uh, -a once-a-year conference. Mission is not just a mission trip. Mission is the life that we are called to as God's people. So tonight's lesson is about God's mission through us, for our city. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1. We get a little context in verse 1. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem. To Babylon. Many of you are familiar with the history, but around uh, 700 BC or so, the nation of Israel was split into uh, two kingdoms the northern kingdom Israel in the north and uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. The, the northern kingdom Israel had the capital of uh, Samaria, and, and the southern kingdom Judah kept its uh, capital as Jerusalem. Over about the next 200 years, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom, Israel. And uh, in 587 BC, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army conquered Jerusalem and took the people of Judah and Jerusalem into captivity in Babylon. So this letter, um, really from God through the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles, in uh, Babylon, that's our context, and I'll read verses 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters too. Multiply there. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Question, according to this passage, who is the one that sent the people of Israel into exile? God. Of course, we know and we see in verse 1 and we've heard the story that uh, the people were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar and and his army. But ultimately, it was God who sent his people into exile at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. Four times in these verses, uh, in verses 4 through 14, God says that he was the one that sent his people into exile. We see in verse 4, it says... Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Verse 14, we'll see it two times. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Four times. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar is... Uh, the one who conquered Jerusalem and brought God's people into Babylon, but he was simply an instrument in God's hands. And God thought it pretty important when he communicated to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, he thought it pretty important that they knew that ultimately he was the one that sent them into exile. So important that he told them four times. Next question, what did God tell his exiled people that he sent into exile to do? What did he tell them to do? He gave them some, some instruction... Anybody want to sum it up? Live, multiply. He told them to set up shop, to build houses, establish families, multiply in the land. Um, So even in their exile, their identity as God's people would remain distinct as they set up shop and multiplied in the land according to God and his ways, right? But he also told them to seek the welfare of the city. And to pray to the Lord on its behalf. So they were to remain distinct, and they would remain distinct as a part of God's plan. But they were not to distance themselves from the city and its affairs. Just the opposite. In fact, God even says that um, the welfare of the city and the welfare of his people are interconnected. You guys catch that? It says, seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Some translations say peace and prosperity. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And for in its peace and prosperity you will find your peace and prosperity. So it wasn't in God's people seeking their peace and prosperity at the expense of the city or separate from the city that they would find their actual peace and prosperity as God defines it, but in being for the city, in seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, God's people would find their peace and prosperity. If you think about it from another angle, from God's perspective, the exile of his people that he he ordained and and did, um, the exile of his people into Babylon was for the good of Babylon. Chapter 29, verse 10 even says that The 70 years were for Babylon. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, it says. So God's people were to seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And through God's people, Babylon would be blessed by God. The next thing to notice is that there would be opposition to this way of thinking and living, not only from the foreign nation, I think that's a given, but also from within the people of God. That's the significance of verse 8 and 9. Do not let your prophets or your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie I did not send them, says the Lord. This doesn't mean that every prophet in Israel was a liar. The one that we're reading from, Jeremiah, was a good, spirit-inspired prophet. But at least it means that there would be those in their midst that, that had their own view on things, and would make those views known within the people of God. Maybe it was, uh, their view was more culturally informed than informed by the word that God had given to Jeremiah. Maybe their views were more informed by their feelings and fantasies than God's word. It says, don't listen to the dreams that they dream. Whatever the case, the point is that there were those in their midst whom they should be able to recognize because the message that they were communicating was opposed to the message that they received from God uh, through Jeremiah. And, and in recognizing these folks, the people should not follow them, but continue in following God in his ways. The last thing I want us to see here is the context of the t-shirt verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future And a hope. This is quite a popular verse, probably one of the most popular verses in the Bible. I wonder how many people who write it on their Facebook wall know that it was sent to God's people when they were in slavery in Babylon. This is not a promise from God to His people that He's going to make their lives easy. He sent it to them when they were on the front end of 70 years of slavery. I mean, Jerusalem had been sacked, and, and the people had been taken into slavery. It's hard for us to understand the significance of Jerusalem for a Jew in that day. Well, maybe if you combine what Rome is to a Catholic and what D.C. is to an American, maybe you're getting close. Jerusalem was center city. It was the center of all their religious and cultural life. So you imagine the Vatican gets sacked, and all of the Catholic people everywhere get taken into a foreign nation in slavery, and then, and then D.C. gets taken over, and, and all of the Americans get taken into a foreign nation, into slavery, we're kind of getting close. Of course, it was on a smaller scale than if the whole Catholic nation and American nation, you know, get taken over, but the point is, it was the center of their religious and cultural life. It had been taken over, and they had been taken into slavery, And it was in the midst of that helpless, probably seemingly hopeless situation that God spoke these very hopeful words to his people. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God sent his people into exile, not for evil, but for their ultimate good and for the good of Babylon. Now, it would not be easy for them to set up shop and establish their families remaining distinct from the surrounding culture. They were slaves, right? And their temptation would probably be uh, to distance themselves as much as possible from the surrounding culture, but that's not what God wanted either. They were sent into Babylon as a part of God's mission for Babylon. Now, Babylon would ultimately be destroyed at the end of this 70 years, but there was a time period, a 70-year time period, where God was sending His people into the pagan nation for the good of the pagan nation. Though as far as the eye could see, things were bleak at best for God's people, they were to cling to their God by faith, to His plan and His promise to them, His plan to use them for His mission in the present and... His promise to rescue them from exile in the future. There's really so much here for us to learn. We too are exiles. First Peter two eleven calls Christians sojourners and exiles. Some translations say strangers and aliens in a foreign land. The point this is not our home. Our primary citizenship is in heaven with Christ. We are exiles in a foreign land, a particular foreign land, the Memphis metro area, and we have been placed here by God. And just like the exiles of Israel, we too are to set up shop to establish our families to multiply in the land and to remain distinct from the surrounding culture. And though we are not slaves, remaining distinct it's quite difficult for us as well, isn't it? Not only that, but we are also to seek the peace and prosperity of our city and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. Every one, of us by God, every one of us has been placed here by God, and He has placed us here in order that through us, He would bless our city. Also, just like the people of Israel, we have voices within our midst that are opposed to these ways of God's kingdom those that make it more difficult to remain distinct from the surrounding culture, and and those that uh, make it more difficult to be for our city, to, to be for the city as God has called us to be. And finally, similarities here. Not only does God have plans to use us for His mission in the present, but He has promised to rescue from this exile in the future. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is unpack some of these things, some of these themes and and points that we see in here, so that our hearts will be on board with God's mission through us for our city. So we've been exiled by God to Memphis for Memphis, and of course when I'm using Memphis I understand that most of you don't live in city limits, but we would all say if we were in L.A. and someone said, where do you live? You would say Memphis. We own this place as our home, and uh, that's the way that I'm using it. I want you to think for a minute about how you got here. Some of you have been here your whole life. Some of you have been here a few weeks, a few months. And as you think about how you got here, you can be sure that that there are certain circumstances, right? You're thinking about different things that happened and uh, that, that landed you here. And those circumstances are no accident. God has sent you here. God has providentially arranged the times and the seasons of your life so that you would be here now. And in light of that, I think we all, myself included, have some sin to confess to God and repent of. Number one, are you a grass is greener person, always longing for another place or a different opportunity? Do you find yourself dreaming of what could be elsewhere? as opposed to what is here. That is not primarily a problem that you have with your current circumstances. That's a problem that you have with the providence of God. A problem with His wisdom and His providential care for your life. Secondly, do you find yourself bad-mouthing our city? Memphis and all of its problems, right? No doubt She has problems. Some of them are severe problems. Turn on the news. But doesn't being for our city involve a love for our city? We don't have to love everything that's happening here. It would only make sense that everything isn't right, and that's why God has us here. Because things need to change. And and He intends to affect change and transformation through us. In order to seek the peace and prosperity of our city, God is going to have to break our hearts for our city. We are going to have to realize that time will run out for Memphis just like it would run out for Babylon. And really, the only way that we will ever have the urgency that we need to have is if we consider, for our fellow Memphians, the looming judgment that we all know awaits. You know, I listened to Rick Donlin at the uh, vocation as mission Saturday morning seminar. And then again in the Sunday service. That is a man who has a broken heart for Memphis, is he not? That is a man who is seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. That is a man who has an urgency to reach his neighbors for Christ. All of the presenters for that matter here's your homework. Uh, You have to go back and listen to those four seminars. Even if you were there, I I think we all ought to go and listen to those again. Thirdly, if you're honest, are you more a giver to our city or a taker from our city? To you, is is the city more about the next good meal you can have or the next uh, account you can land, or is it more about the next opportunity to help? the next opportunity for engagement where there is presently a need um, or a lack of peace and prosperity. And don't just think about city limits. Think about your life in your neighborhood. Is your life more defined by getting for you or by engaging and and giving to those around you? If you're honest, at at the heart level, the most basic level, have you embraced that one of the primary reasons that God has placed you in this place is for this place? Next, on remaining distinct from the surrounding culture, let's think about our families for a minute. Um, And in this little thought experiment, uh, I want you to think about a friend of yours who is not a Christian. Nice people, you know, but not Christians. And if you take away the church going from your life, and you compare your life to theirs, is it different? Is the function of your life more shaped by biblical Christianity or upper-middle-class Americanism? More shaped by treasure on earth or treasure in heaven? More informed by the Bible or the culture? A good illustration of this, um, this being distinct, I think, is the Jews in my neighborhood. Um, I say in my neighborhood because they're a more conservative branch, and I think that there are probably more liberal branches that don't really care how distinct they are. But um, this particular group of people are distinct people; you can tell them apart, and they haven't totally isolated themselves to a monastery somewhere so that they don't live, you know, with gentile neighbors and that sort of thing. Um, you know, they're in the culture, not of it, so to speak, not in the truest sense of the of the biblical statement, but. For them, the point is, the culture of their beliefs is primary to the culture of the city that they live in. Granted, they may not be seeking the peace and prosperity of the city in the truest sense like God defines here, because to do that, I I believe you can only be doing that as you have faith in the one true God of the Scriptures, who has now been revealed in Christ. But as far as remaining distinct from the culture, I think we can look at them and say, hey, I could probably learn a thing or two there. The, the point is, and the question I'm asking is, do our biblical convictions shape the way that we live? Let's take, for example, our finances. Listen to this quote I picked up from Rick Donlan in the, in the Saturday seminar. He said, If you can calculate it and plan how it is all going to work out, that ain't faith. That's upper-middle-class Americanism. I think it's good enough to read twice. If you can calculate it and plan how it is all going to work out, that ain't faith, that's upper-middle-class Americanism. Now, remember, this guy's a doctor, right? He doesn't make chump change. I'm sure he's taken some cuts to be doing the kind of work that he's doing. But his, his money's invested in kingdom endeavors to a degree that doesn't make sense. There is risk involved in believing God. So, if we examine our finances, are we operating according to God's kingdom economy or according to an upper-middle-class American economy. And speaking of kingdom economics, the Saturday seminar by Michael Rhodes from Advance Memphis was, I thought, outstanding. And one of the things he was talking about was, um, or really I guess all what he was talking about is just radical ways, uh, radical shifts in the way that we use our finances, and not just individual homes, but businesses and things like that. Um, at one point he was talking, someone someone said what I think most of us, if not all of us, were thinking, they said, well, what you're talking about sounds kind of like socialism, you know, and uh, I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, but he said something like, I'm glad you said that. What I'm talking about is not socialism, though it has some similarities, but what I'm talking about is not pure capitalism either, though it has some similarities. What I'm talking about is kingdom economics, living according to the scriptures, I loved that. It just scarred me when he said that because I thought, oh, wow. Are we living according to God's economy or the culture's economy? Are we a distinct people? You know, what makes this all the more difficult is there are those in our midst who are bad examples. Those whose dreams are for themselves and not for God's kingdom. The key is that we live according to God's Word and we follow people's examples only in as much as they are in submission and in line with the Scriptures. Not just in finances, it's just one of the ways that I can get in your personal space as I stand here and speak. But uh, all of life is is our life in submission to the economy of God in these ways. Tom Phillips was another one of the presenters at the Saturday seminar. Tom is the owner of Diversified Conveyors. And, and he was talking about leading your business according to God and His ways. He said, We are unashamedly a kingdom business. When we have a problem, we turn to God's Word to lead us through. Can you say that about your life? Is, is that where you turn in your family, in, in your business? Now, I realize that some of us might feel inadequate at navigating God's Word. I get in there, I get overwhelmed, I don't know where to go, I don't know how it fits together, you know. Uh, but But you... You do have good people and you have good resources around you. You have a church that's ready to help. So the question is simply, do you seek the Lord to navigate life's transitions in a biblically faithful way? Next, are we a distanced people? Talk about personal space. Have we distanced ourselves from the city and its affairs? You can think of this on a, on a couple of different levels, I think. Have we retreated? Number one, have we retreated from engaging the glaring hurts and needs of our city for whatever reason, hate, uh, greed, dislike, fear, you know? Number two, have we distanced ourselves from our neighbors? Again, not just thinking city limits, uh, but our neighborhoods where we live. You know, not enough time, too much work, uh, too many things going on. Have we distanced ourselves there? Have we, are we engaging the people around us? For Christ, You know, I think the reason that I can't shake the message of Jeremiah 29 is because it has shaken me. If I'm honest, I haven't fully embraced God's wisdom and providential care in placing me here. But this message is helping me. I don't have a broken hearted love for the city like I think this calls us to have. But this message is helping me. And I think as I examine my own heart before this text and before this sermon, um, I think God wants to change not just small things, but major things uh, about the way that my family thinks and operates, in, thinks about and operates in this place. If, if I'm honest, I think it's a little overwhelming because I don't know exactly what God is up to. I don't know what He's going to call me to do, I don't know what He's prodding me uh, to move towards. And that's kind of scary. If I'm honest, I'm afraid to engage my neighbors in a more meaningful way because it's easier not to. I'm afraid to engage the hurts and the needs of our city in a more meaningful, deeper way because it's easier not to. But after thinking about this passage for quite some time, I know it's what God He wants from us. He wants us to embrace the exile. He wants us to lean into it. He wants us to live into His mission through us for our city. He does not want us to dream more dreams for bigger barns and greener pastures for ourselves. He wants us to dream dreams and take risks for greener pastures in our city. Because it's not in seeking our own peace and prosperity that we will find peace and prosperity as God defines peace and prosperity. It's in seeking the peace and prosperity of the city where he has placed us that we will find it. Here's what I know. For the last 10 years or so, God has been calling the people of Grace of Anne to live more simply to give more sacrificially, to accomplish the Great Commission. And if we don't start thinking, and some of us are, and, and many of us are, I don't even want to say that, but, but if we don't continue um, to, to think even more radically and act even more radically about how to live more simply, to give more sacrificially of our time and our talents and our treasures in order to accomplish the Great Commission. If we don't do that, well then we'll just resign ourselves to be another few generations of upper middle class Americans that lived more selfishly to get more stuff to leave that radical, world-changing stuff to others. Here's where I want you to start. Begin praying to the Lord on behalf of our city. Just for its peace and prosperity, and and ask Him to give you a vision for how to seek its peace and prosperity. I already announced your homework. I want you to listen to all four messages from the mission conference, uh, the Saturday seminars, and also go back and listen to Rick Donlin's message again, and listen to them prayerfully. Continue continue in in praying these prayers, um, you know, for our city as you as you listen and um, as you meditate on these paradigm-changing concepts. Pray that God would give you clarity as to how to seek our city's peace and prosperity. One thing I do know is that it involves all of us being more intentional with spreading the gospel. It's always about the gospel, and, and one of the ways that we are going to seek the peace and prosperity of our city is by being more intentional about spreading the gospel. So that's one thing Ask God to put more skin on it for you. What can we do as God's people of grace of Anne here in this place to leave a kingdom mark in our city? And a word of caution in these prayers, uh, one thing that I've noticed in myself and in certain conversations with others is the yeah buts are quick to surface in our response to what is being pitched. Like, Rick Donlin is awesome, yeah, but, you know, God isn't calling everyone to Binghampton, Alan Barnhart, man, that guy, he gave away hundreds of millions of dollars and resigned himself to live like a normal human when, when, of course, he's not. He has all this money. Yeah, but God isn't calling me. So what you have to ask yourself when the yeah buts come, and they will come, is you have to ask yourself if they're from the flesh or if they're from the Spirit. We Christians, were essentially two people in, in one. We have the Spirit of God. And we have, we still have our sinful flesh. So we have to ask when the yeah buts come, is God bringing this to mind to give me wisdom in the situation? Certainly there is wisdom in not being uh, careless, in being radical, right? A lot of people have gotten passionate about something and made stupid decisions. So it is possible that the Spirit would bring a yeah but to mind to give you wisdom. Or is my flesh bringing this to my mind because my sinful flesh hates the things of God? I'm not saying there aren't legitimate yeah buts. Granted, God does not want us all to move to Binghamton. Rick Donlin even told us that. Um, But surely God would have some of us engage an impoverished area of our city in a uh, more um, intentional, deeper, long-term way. Just make sure when the yeah buts come that you take them captive for obedience to Christ. Is this thought from the Spirit who wants God's glory? Or is this thought from my sinful flesh who wants me glory? So to close, in the same way that you might be a little overwhelmed, or I am, and you might be too, um, or maybe you just tend toward despair. You hear messages like this and you go, you know, man, this Christianity thing, I figured out one thing, I never get it right. You know, and uh, maybe you tend towards despair. But, you know, I think the Jewish exiles had to feel the same way, too. After all, one of the reasons, I mean, that God announces for their exile, it is in his providential sovereign uh, good plan, but it was also because of their disobedience, right? So they had to feel that weight of, man, we have blown it. They were facing a lifetime, 70 years. They're facing a lifetime of oppression and uncertainty, and they had no idea how this thing was going to work out. But I think that's the significance of the last few verses in our text, verses 10 through 14. They were to embrace God's plan through them and live in the present according to God's promise of the future. Their identity was not to be wrapped up in their exile. Their identity was to be wrapped up in the God who exiled them for his purposes, Their identity was not to be wrapped up in the culture in which they live, but in the God who promised to rescue them from exile in the future. They may have found themselves helpless as to how to navigate the coming days, but they had hope of a future with their God. So for uh, anyone among us who finds himself or herself helpless as to how to navigate The coming days, life's pressures, uh, frequent failures, whatever it may be. We have hope of a God who has promised us and has declared that promise publicly in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has promised us a future and a hope with Him, and we are exiled to this place, but He has promised that He will return to get us. And as that gospel seeps seeps deeper and deeper into our souls and, and our identity in Christ becomes more and more primary to the way that we live our lives, you know what will happen? Our hearts will break for this city. We won't be able to help but share the gospel with our neighbors. We won't be able to help but seek the peace and prosperity of our city as I listened to Rick Dillon and Michael Rhodes in their seminars, and then again, Alan Barnhart and and Tom Phillips out here in the panel discussion, I didn't leave feeling like those men were smarter than the average Christian, though they they might be. I I didn't uh, leave feeling like they were more gifted than the average Christian, though they might be. I left with the overwhelming sense that the thing that sets these men apart from the average Christian is that they are more caught up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Might we get more caught up in this salvation that we have in Jesus? And might God use us to transform our city? Let's pray. Father, everything we have is a gift. Most precious of all of the gifts is eternal life. You have paid our sin debt. We have sinned in ways that we don't even know um, how to think about. But Lord, I pray that that gospel good news would go deep into our souls and propel us on to love and good deeds. I pray that you would break our hearts for our city. She is deeply broken, deeply wounded. God, I pray that you would open doors and opportunities little by little, one by one, one day at a time, that we would be able to engage in this mission of yours that you have called us to participate in. Thank you for the privilege of participating in it. God, I do pray that, that you would um, just leave a lasting impression on this congregation from this missions conference, which was such a gift, and uh, just continue to stir in our hearts and minds these things that we have learned. We thank you for your word, Lord. It, it invades our space, and we're glad about it. We thank you that you love us enough um, not to leave us where we are today, and uh, that you've promised to come get us.